You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And we are back again. Uh, this is our, our post-Worldcon set yeah, of It's our first recordings. guest recording. Yes. So it's, it's appropriate that our first guest be Merle Lafferty. It feels is like it? kind of coming. Well, I mean, it's it's sort of like a it's it's like coming home, isn't it, Patrick? Yeah, a lot of yeah. ways. I, I got to see Mer for the first time in a really really long time, and immediately gave her shit, and she immediately gave me shit, and so it just felt like old times. So yep. what I'm hearing here is that I'm not going to have to work very hard in this episode. I just get to sit back <laughs> and watch. Is that is that is that what's going to happen? We'll see. <laughs> Mur, uh, thanks for thanks for coming and, and joining us. Why don't you why don't you tell people who you are and what you do? My name is Mur Lafferty. I'm a writer and podcaster and editor. I wear a lot of hats. I have a new book coming out in a couple of weeks. You said this is going up on Tuesday, so it'll be two weeks. Called Station Eternity, and it is a murder mystery in space again, but it's unlike Six Wakes, my last murder mystery in space, because publishing industry. And it is essentially Murder, She Wrote meets Babylon 5. Nice. And yeah. Have, have, have you have you seen Mr. Garibaldi? That's a Babylon 5. I have. Well, you, I've seen Jerry Doyle. Isn't he dead now? <laughs> I believe he did pass. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. There are a lot. Of, did Babylon 5 has yeah. a lot of people die young on Babylon 5. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the the cast images circulating on the internet where there's, you know, the, the sort of a cast array and then they sort of slightly gray out folks who we've lost in the last several years and it's 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 just sub 50% at this point, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz Bruce Boxleitner's still around. Claudia Christian. Oh, Christian, thank you. Is still around and like co-writing books. She cuz we had her on years ago. She's like co-writing oh, cool. books now. Yeah. That's very cool. So, I mean, okay. So, Murder, She Wrote and, and <laughs> Babylon 5. This is a cool pitch, but I think I don't want to kind of bury the lead here. Mur, why do you like murder so much? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Do you want the real reason or do you want the... I want all the reasons. All the reasons. <laughs> Well, I did, I did, I did a series of urban fantasies that have earned out, but took a while to do so. And I had an idea about a bunch of clones waking up and not knowing which one of them killed them Mm -hmm. because it was a locked room thing. And since my publisher no longer wanted me to write urban fantasy, I'm like, well, I got this clone idea Mm -hmm. and they said, cool. And then I, I went, oh shit, I'd. I don't know anything about mysteries. And I panicked and I ran to read a whole bunch of Agatha Christie novels. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd seen, I, I'm, I think, I think it might be required for women in their forties and up to suddenly glom onto at least one show about cozy murder. I had been watching a variety of, and I grew up with murder. She wrote, but I'm watching Rosemary and time and father Brown with my husband and so started paying attention to those a little bit more as a storyteller and reading Agatha Christie. And then I wrote Six Wakes, which did very well. It got many award nominations and- um, It was a great book. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And then was 
not given a sequel, but when I found a new publisher and said, you know, we were talking about what they want and I'm like, well, I could, I've been wanting to do a whole hang a lampshade on the fact that nobody ever talks about people dying around these amateur sleuths. Like yeah. these people see a lot of murder in their life. Like I've never seen one, mm-hmm. but amateur sleuths see tons of murder. And that's just weird. And it's like whole, the entire genre is built upon ignoring that trope. Yeah. yeah. And so I've been thinking like, man, people would not go to Father Brown's church if they paid attention <laughs> to how many people died in that area. Or, or people Cabot would not Cove. want Miss Fisher to come no. to their parties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Patrick. They would not want to go to Cabot Cove. It, oh, my God. Cabot Cove. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, so it's, much murder. It's, there's it's like worse 12 than Stephen people King. People in the city, and they're all yeah. dead. It's yeah. yeah. And so, because I'm a science fiction writer and not a mystery writer, I thought, well, if it was a science fiction universe and I had a character who had that, what would she do? And I thought, well, let's run away to Babylon 5 where there are aliens, and maybe whatever makes people kill themselves around me won't happen there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, why I like murder so much, it's what my publishers bought. I enjoy <laughs> sure. it. Yeah. I do. And I hate I hate yeah. giving you that answer, but I'm going to be honest. I, I know you guys like delving into the the publishing industry. It's um, sure. Yeah. There are other things I want to write. Of course, I am like thinking since I am enjoying writing it, you know, it's not yeah. like I'm just a hack. It's I, I do enjoy it. But my thinking is going towards murder mystery type things now. Yeah. Uh, more and more just because I'm still reading stuff. I'm still rereading a lot of Agatha Christie because one, I enjoy it. And two, she, she, she put a lot into those little bitty books mm-hmm. and, and still trying to learn packed. from that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. They're very tightly packed. Yeah. Very much so. So but what I'm uh, hearing is kind of Murr is down with murder these days because it seems like most of us are down with murder these <laughs> days. Um, Fair. Yeah. So well, yeah, we've, we've misidentified the port of origin. Apparently, well, there's even an SNL song about murder shows, about how women are waiting for their significant <laughs> others to go out so they can settle down and watch their their dreadful murder shows. Yeah, it's uh, it's excellent. Somebody pointed I, it out to me. I, I may be running in the wrong circles, but it just seems like everybody's also obsessed with the true crime stuff now. And the I true crime shows, all the stuff on Netflix, all the stuff on Hulu, all the yeah. podcasts that are out there. It, it just seems like that that's become its own genre that is just exploding. Yeah, I don't know. I've not I've not really gotten into it. I don't <laughs> I think the fa- I don't like history and true crime simply because real life is not narratively tight. Yeah. It doesn't have you know, you can't pick up a true crime thing mm-hmm. and know that at the end, the villain's going to get theirs. And if a very charming sleuth is involved, there might be two people who are getting married. <laughs> Hercule Poirot as a matchmaker is is a trope that I do not think mm-hmm. is uh, explored enough. Mm-hmm. But, you know, going into the, mm-hmm. here's all the facts, and yeah. we may never know. I just, that's <laughs> really... And yeah. my mom watches a lot of those, you know, unsolved mystery type things, and it's it's dramatization yeah, and it's tears and then it's and we'll never know what happened i'm like really you just wasted an hour of my life <laughs> telling me a bunch of crap and no one knows and so i haven't i have to be fair i haven't listened to a lot of true crime stuff but that's why i don't it's like i don't 
real life is not narratively tight and I'm, I like stories. I understand. I understand. It's, it's funny because there are, there are so many people though, that are getting into it. Like I do like unsolved mysteries because I think unsolved mysteries does some, some of the more creepy stuff. Yes. Right. And, and and even the Netflix reboot, I thought was pretty good, but yeah, I get it. I, I don't like the true crime stuff anymore. Like I got into it for a little bit, but I, I started like feeling really down mm. watching them. Yeah. Like it was, it yeah. was bringing me down because it's like, oh my God, human beings are horrible. I wonder if it exists at this weird intersection of the salacious eavesdropping people feel like they get from reality TV with what they're telling themselves storytelling is like. And like Murr's point, like real life is not narratively tight, you know, in the same way that that, you know, dreams aren't stories and, and so on. And so I wonder if it's if it's like this is our low budget crime series that we're doing because we've realized that lots of people's standards of narrative are not well developed like their their ability to articulate what they want from a narrative and what what narratives should do isn't really there they just want the sort of like secondary salacious rush and so they're going to go for the true crime thing and cool all we have to do is sort of find the case and break down the background of it and get some people to give us some sound bites and and edit it for drama yeah right yeah yeah Yeah, those 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 kinds of shows do tend to have a, a an opinion that they want to get out there or a, a track. And there's a there's a show that I like. It's called The Good Fight, and okay. this is the sequel to The Good Wife. Okay. And it it's only streaming on Paramount. It it they don't they don't put it on the on the on the regular TVs anymore. But it's they even they even played with this a little bit because they they have a. It's an all it's supposed to be an all African American law firm, but they hired Diane Lockhart from The Good mm-hmm. Wife, who's who's very white. And and so this is a this is a, a point of of conflict. Yeah. But the the named partner is an African American woman who uh, someone comes in and says we want to do a documentary about uh, African-American lawyers and the struggles that they've gone through. And then it turns out that that's not what they want at all. They're actually going after her for one case that she prosecuted as a, as a, as a U.S. attorney. And they want to, they want to point out that uh, there was bias and that she was wrong and all this kind of stuff. That tends to be how those true crime things, like they, they come to it from a, a viewpoint a, a of kind of agenda. Yeah. This is what we think happened and we're going to film stuff and we're going to take the sound bites and make it, make it look like that yeah also learn sure. from reality tv yeah 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 also very much so like reality tv has its own they they know that reality is sloppy and so they're they're trying to construct a villain and construct a kind of core of characters and construct sure. these things they're, they're, they're trying to put order where order doesn't exist and so i guess yeah the order of the true crime docudrama becomes the the narrative agenda and be like so now now we know how to edit it towards us having a suspect or having uh having an unserved injustice um or whatever so 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 is this a good time to announce you know mer's new true crime podcast no i'm just kidding uh (laughs) to bring it back to station eternity for a second you you mentioned in at worldcon that you were doing an audio drama 
Yeah. We're kind of do we're just doing like the first couple of chapters in audio drama form live on Twitch. I got the idea when I was watching the table read of the Princess Bride by as much of the original cast that they could get in 2020. And they did it live. I think they did it on YouTube live, I think. But you know, it was nobody well, Billy Crystal kind was kind of a semi-ticketed event, sort of. Yeah, well, they wanted you to donate yeah. to Wisconsin Democrat. Democratic Party, I believe it was Wisconsin, but it was like Billy Crystal did a little bit of costuming and background ah. stuff. And then we found <laughs> okay. out that Mandy Patinkin got that sword because he pulled it out. But pretty much everybody was just sitting there and half the people had on like Apple earbuds and were using that microphone and they were just, but they were reading the script as they had it. And it was really cool. And so we had the idea to dramatize just like the first couple of chapters, just to sort of get give people a sense of who my characters are and what what kind of position they're in. And so I got a group of people to help me read that. And that's going to be on October 1st. So that's been fun to put together. Terrifying. I, I made my assistant do the project management because that's the kind of thing that sounds awesome, but I'm always going to forget something. Sure. Yeah. And so I made sure I had somebody who's a little bit more organized than me handle the project management part of it. But uh, yeah, that'll be in two weeks from today. Nice. Terrifying. That's awesome. So that's going to be live. And then are, are you going to record it and then yeah. restream yeah. it later? Okay. It'll be live on twitch.tv slash Mighty And then I'll be putting it on YouTube when Twitch allows me to because I'm an affiliate and they don't want my content going anywhere for two days. Got oh, it. Oh, interesting. Got it. Okay. So that, you know, so much of the work that you do, Mer, kind of like lives in the space of audio and performance. Like, I mean, obviously there's, you've, you've done many podcasts over the years. And also, I guess so in, in May, I just like read the pitch on it today. And, and I literally ran to my Audible account and added it. In May, you had a novella come out as an Audible exclusive, the yes. Ophelia Network. And so I guess... By the way, the Ophelia Network has a pitch which immediately froze me in my spot. So listeners, this is Blues Clues meets 1984. So like, how do we organize the anti-fascist resistance by way of children's programming? But also many people don't know that it's happening. Getting back on track here. <laughs> well, that's um, the point. <laughs> if, right, they yeah, it's that's happening, like, then... if they know it's happening, then it's going to stop happening or else. Yeah. yeah. So getting back on track here, like what? What keeps bringing you back to audio as a format for sharing stories, sharing work, sharing perspectives, all of all of this stuff? Well, I started, you know, I think I think when people plan out their careers and I, I, right now I'm speaking to anybody, I guess, 35 and younger, maybe. Mm -hmm. But because growing up with the Internet, you know that something's going to come along in the next five to 10 years. It's going to take any plan you have and make it absolutely <laughs> obsolete. But growing up, it was you know, you, you write and you work hard and you tell more stories and you get better. And then you submit your stories by paper to your magazines. And then you submit your novel by paper to agents and you wait and wait and wait and wait. And someday you'll get published. You forgot the S-A-S-E. Um, oh, the S-A-S-E. Wow. Yeah. 
Good times. For, for people under 35 listening, that stands for a self-addressed stamped envelope. You have to if you, put your own postage on an envelope with your yeah. name on it if you want your physical copy of a thing back or if you want your your rejection letter in print as opposed to just sitting forever in unknowing silence. Yes. <laughs> yes. So when podcasting started, I was just, it, it was it was like really, it was kismet in that I had just started being medicated for depression and I was kind of crawling out of a very dark hole and started to get just my my creative brain started working again and at that point I found out what podcasting was and this was like November 2004 and so I got into it and started just trying to figure out what I could do to 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 make fun audio content so I started doing essays because NPR did not want any essays about being a geeky mother, as I discovered. And then I had to see somebody else do it first because I was really worried about losing the, you know, first print rights to my stories, which is what happens if you self-publish something on the internet. A lot of places will not then buy the the rights to your work Mm -hmm. or they'll consider it a reprint. But T. Morris and Scott Sigler had gotten a lot of attention from podcasting their stuff. And they podcasted their novels for their own reasons. But after that, I just started writing. I I figured I would write a novella and podcast it chapter by chapter Mm -hmm. just because it sounded neat. Yeah, And I did four of those. Yeah, four, five. I did five. And then realized that by outside a writing podcast still have it where yeah. I was inter- interviewing a lot of authors and did not realize what I was doing was networking mm-hmm. and then when I had editors approach me to ask me like you want to have coffee at a con or something just to get to know each other <laughs> or whatever and I realized I was did not realize I'd been building my writing career on the back of podcasting yeah so yeah. I I still have a soft spot for podcasting and for audio. I'm most comfortable. I'm okay in front of people and I'm very okay in front of a mic. Mm -hmm. And I've discovered I've got some sort of panic block against TikTok. I think I see it like a, uh, like flash fiction. You know, mm, when you write yeah. a novel, you've got a hundred thousand words and you can make a mistake here and there. When you write flash fiction, you've got a thousand words and every word better be tight. That's kind of how I feel about TikTok. I can stream on my Twitch channel for hours, but with TikTok, I'm like, oh, I've got a couple of seconds. Oh God. And then I just lock yeah. down. But that's yeah. that's my own problem. And I've got a box of books downstairs that I have not unwrapped because I promised my assistant I would do an unboxing video. <laughs> and so I've denied myself. Uh, unboxing my own books because yeah anyway we got way off topic i don't i don't i don't think that's all that off topic i mean it's a, it's a related animal yeah well, well basically it's where i got comfortable it's where i built my audience i've still got a pretty big audience there and i just specifically for the ophelia network though i mean audible original is a publisher yeah and they're the ones who bought the the novella Mm-hmm. So, but I was delighted and it was fun to try to think to write to audio again. 
Yeah. Because it there it's not terribly obvious, but there are some things you need to do if you're writing specifically for audio that you don't need to worry about when you're writing for, you know, reading. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. did have to talk to my editor about that. The Ophelia Network was, was challenging because it was, I had to do more rewrites for that project than any project I've worked on before. And it was very, it was a lot. And it was, I think it was partly pandemic related. Mm -hmm. Just my brain just did not really work as well and i it's i'm not even talking like long covid or brain fog or anything it's just like yeah. the, the the malaise of the lockdown kind of thing mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's came out in may mm-hmm. it took a long time to write a little novella but mm-hmm. <laughs> i was pretty happy with it by the end what's I, what's I, interesting to me tracy is the parallels just in listening to Murr. i mm-hmm. i feel very similar about some stuff mm-hmm. like I uh you put me in a room full of people and I am very quiet and I want to hide you put a microphone in front of me and I come on because I'm a podcaster True. and that's why I try to do programming at conventions because then they give me a microphone and when they give me a microphone I can be the podcaster dude Donardo claims that he sees when the switch goes off in my head like he he saw it because <laughs> really? I started doing yeah. it in rooms full of people without a mm-hmm. microphone. I would just become the podcaster and walk around, talk to people. But yeah. I will say this. I, at this last Worldcon, I felt old. Like I felt old because I was talking to baby podcasters who were talking about all the things that they were doing. And, you know, like the oldest podcast on the panel with me when I was doing one of them w- was like two years old. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was about to point out that I was on a panel with you, but I guess you were yeah. on more than one. This was different. Yes. Panel. Oh yeah. no, no, they put me. Yeah. They put me on. So the, the other <laughs> contrast uh, that kept going in my head was there. There was like a Worldcon where I showed up, and I wasn't on any of the podcast panels. And there was a point where you were sitting up there, at, and I was in the audience, and you go, "Why isn't Patrick up here? This is ridiculous." And and so to contrast that with this one, like I was on four panels that were all podcasts. And then I taught a workshop about podcasts. It was crazy. And, uh, but yeah, I'm on this one and it was the monetizing one. And Uh, so there's all these people talking about monetizing their podcasts and they're all less than two years old and they're all doing anything that's less than two years old. I don't get it. They start that way. They just start with the, with the idea that they're going to monetize this and that they're going to go out and get sponsors and they're going to, you know, do this stuff. But, uh, you know, they're talking about all the challenges that that they're running into. They're also talking about all the new stuff, you know, the Twitch, Mm -hmm. YouTube, Instagram, they're, they're doing all the stuff that I'm not, I'm still not doing. Like, it's funny because I sat down with Tracy and I said, well, I'm thinking about farting around with video again. Well, I've thought about farting around with video for five years. Oh, Patrick, it is so good to hear somebody else talk about this like it's me. I'm so sorry, but I understand 100%. Sometimes I think about these ideas I have and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been thinking about that for seven years now. Great. Maybe Mm -hmm. I should move on that. Yeah, there's an app called Headliner. You drop your audio in and it'll do the little squiggly line thing, right? And then you just put some pictures behind it. Boom, you've got video. And I haven't, you know, I'm like, oh, that seems like that would be simple. But the the curve, like the learning curve for me is learning how to use that stupid app. And mm-hmm. I just haven't done it. For me, it's, I don't, I don't think to take pictures or video with my phone. Mm. I remember I was, I, I was 
when I was in a productivity phase before I realized I had ADHD, it's like, I don't know if it was a, it was a digital detox or something, you know, a little $3 book on a Kindle book. And like step one was do one day and don't take any photos, just live life in the present. I'm like, you mean like every other day? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. that, is that a problem for some people? And yeah. so, but this is like, I, as a professional, I'm not updating Instagram. I'm not updating. I'm not doing anything on TikTok. I almost never put photos on Twitter, which I, you know, do know how to use. It's just, you know, and so that, that headliner thing sounds really cool, except I would never think to use it. That's the yeah. thing. It's not even that. If you told me right now, you have to do an Instagram thing, I could think, okay, well, I'll figure it out. But I don't even think to go there. That's my problem. Yeah. 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 It's not that it's not even that the the entry point of the technology is necessarily too hard. It's just like that. That's that's not how you think about the products that you create. That's not yeah. how you think about the work that you do. Exactly. There, there, there was I, 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 I pushed myself. As I was going to more and more war cons back in the day, I started pushing myself to take pictures with people. So mm-hmm. I took a lot of selfies. Uh, I took selfies with Murr. I took selfies with anybody that I knew and and I would have them. And, and there was a twofold thing. One, it was like I was trying to get myself more comfortable taking pictures, especially of myself. And I, I was just trying to have some sort of evidence that I was actually at the fucking world con, yeah. you know, because otherwise there's no ev- like I'm just like I'm not even there. Mm-hmm. Well. With, with, you know, the having to be home, mom being sick, all the stuff that's just happened in my life. And then COVID, I'm back to where I was before that. So, like, I went to this Worldcon. I did not take a single selfie with anybody. I did not take pictures. I had if to you relearn didn't come the to my, habits. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't come to my panels, you would not know I was there. So that's a that's like a thing I have to work on again to move forward. And so that's the other barrier for me with video. I, I made the joke on the on the panel uh, with the the podcast babies. I said, you know, I thought about doing video before I do video. I need to lose like a hundred pounds. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's where my brain's at before I can yeah. do video and do it, do it successfully in my own brain. So, and, I don't know. and that's not realistic. No, I, I have the same thing. It's like, even before lockdown, I worked from home. And so getting out of pajamas before three was considered like a fancy day. And the idea of, okay, I'm going to do some TikTok stuff. And then I look at myself and go, well, that's not (laughs) happening. And, you know, if I, I used to try, I tried to learn a little bit about makeup for Twitch. And now I'm just like, I'm going to brush my hair and maybe try to get rid of the shininess. And then we're good. Yeah. And, but I get that with, for some reason, I get that with TikTok. I don't know if it's because the people I see always tend to be like right up against they're like, I don't know if they're holding yeah. their phones really close to their face or what. And I'm like, but I see people who are not conventionally attractive. I see people who are not thin and they're making content. So what the hell's wrong with us? <laughs> I think it's, part of it, though, is like it's all zeitgeist and it only works one of two ways. Either you're constantly generating content and it's this churn that becomes really hard to maintain or you poke the zeitgeist the right way and your content, like your one video or your couple of videos is the thing that everybody starts sharing because it's so funny or so trenchant or so whatever. And I I don't see a lot of in between. Yeah. And TikTok apparently is just like all the other platforms that people are trying to get rich on, which is once you figure out how to appeal to the most people, for some reason, they'll change the algorithm. And yeah. then, 
your views will plummet and then you'll have to figure out another angle. Mm-hmm. And cause I have a friend who has been creating content forever and doing podcasting about as long as I have. And he found his niche on TikTok, and he does like one a day and he's got a huge following. And then suddenly like the views went down all of a sudden mm-hmm. and it, it, it felt like one of those, the algorithm had to have changed magically and not be delivering his content to random people anymore. And that, that kind of thing scares me because it's like, you know, you're, you're supposed to, again, thinking when I'm growing up, it's like you learn your trade and you get good at it and you keep doing it. But right now it's like, you got to pivot. Okay. Well, something's changed. You got to pivot again. A lot of Kindle writers have had to deal with this. People trying to make their living just doing self-publishing on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the things change, and and it's stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> it's just all stupid. And 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 you know when you when you Murray, you asked the question like, what's wrong with us? I, at least in my my, I can talk about myself. You know, I've <laughs> I've got a lot of baggage, and I've got a lot of bullshit in my head, and that's why I go to therapy. <laughs> You know, to yeah, try to fair. get to try to get rid of it and try to get out of there. And uh, apparently, a big part of my thing is Catholic guilt for some reason. So, ah, yeah, I gave it up for Lent when I was like fourteen. <laughs> uh, and it felt so good. You just yeah. kept giving it up. Yeah, and I've yeah. just I've stuck with that. But uh, yeah. apparently, the 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 guilt is already in my brain; it won't go away. Yeah, so. it just accumulates. Yeah, I, can, I I think we should switch to something <laughs> here. We got We 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 do need to get towards our picks of the week here. But before we do picks of the week, I I want to see if Mer can help me out with something here. So Uh-oh. you and Patrick go way back, mm-hmm. and I I'm wondering, can you give me a really good Patrick story? And by give me, I really mean give me and all the listeners. And that's fine. We all want a really good Patrick story. So I I, I don't know if I have any, you know, exciting, oh, juicy stories, on, except, you know, I would get to a point where I was, you know, when Patrick was helping me do some production, I would screw up and then say, you know, sorry, Patrick. And then he just that became his his verbal cue that something needs to be edited and then every once in a while my kid who was pretty much a toddler or very young kid at the time would come in and and interrupt me and then say sorry Patrick and then so (laughs) she would be apologizing and that was just a very it it was a very amusing time the the story that I like to tell is that I believe it was Shikon 7 Mm-hmm. I was okay, so I, I had started producing. Yep. I had started producing. I should be writing for her. And she wanted to have a meeting to talk and she wanted to do lunch and she wanted to talk about ideas that she had for the show and things that she wanted to do moving forward. And uh so I, I got to Chicago and I and I registered and, and uh SF Signal was up for a uh, 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 Hugo Award. Woo. And so I got my little packet and stuff, and in it was the little rocket. Right, the, the little rocket, rocket pin, and uh, so you know, I took some pictures and stuff, and then I in my room, and then I went off to meet Mer, and she looks at me, and she's like, "Where's your rocket pin?" And I said, "It's in my room." Why? It's still in the bag. It's mint. It's in. It's in bag. She goes, oh my <laughs> fucking mint. god! It's this is not mint. a collectible. 
You don't keep it in the package. You go back to your room, you open the fucking package, and you put it on. I was right. <laughs> you were right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't remember such a vociferous uh, response, <laughs> but I believe I do remember that. Yeah. 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 Just, just yeah. for if you guys haven't talked about it, the the Hugo pin is a beautiful little rocket pin, and it's given out to just the nominees. And you typically wear it on your collar. Usually, people wear it on their lanyards. Yeah. yeah. Some player uh, for, visible. And you know, it, it it shows off that you are a Hugo nominee. And sometimes past Hugo nominees will put all of theirs on their land. You'd be very and... proud of Patrick at the most recent Shaikon because he he was fully loaded. He was yes. he was like a he was a four-star admiral. Of... It looked awesome. It really um, did. Yeah. So I, I, I wear that, them that's on my why colors. I at Yeah. Because I, I, I actually asked beforehand because I couldn't remember. I asked and I said, uh, it's it's okay for like past nominees to still wear those, right? And and I got back to yes, it, it mm-hmm. is. Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to take anything away from the people who were currently nominated. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember. I thought, you know, to Mer's point, I thought that some past nominees still wore them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I decided to go ahead and, and bring them and. And I wear them like pips on the collar, like a like a Starfleet thing, because yep. I'm a Star Trek nerd. So there you go. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Now we 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 owe the listeners a picks of the week here. Got to wrap things up, and sure. uh, of course, amongst the picks of the week should be Station Eternity for people to so keep an eye out. By the time you're listening to this episode, it will be imminent in your world, and and not too late for you to pre-order. But all right, so Patrick Murr, either one of you want to go first? Murr, do you want me to show you how it's done? (laughs) I've been on the show before. (laughs) (laughs) Also podcasted before. I have been really, I've been rereading the Locked Tomb series, starting with Gideon the Ninth, because none of the Ninth just came out. And Mm -hmm. if I'd thought, if I'd been, you know, more aware of the world i would have started gideon then restarted gideon the ninth a couple of months ago so i could also reread harrow the ninth and then be all fresh and ready for known of the ninth but yeah. uh i was not and so known of the ninth just came out this past week but i am uh back in the gideon the ninth world right now and that's what's making me happy i would say I another am- great cover too yeah. the oh covers my God. Are great yeah yeah, they're always really great. And the audiobook performance is is top notch. I'm about halfway through the audiobook for Harrow the Ninth. So I'm I'm chomping at your heels, Mer, trying yeah. to catch up. So. Moira Quirk is amazing. Also, well, I don't know if you can call her an old time podcaster, but she was uh worked with Grant Pachoco on on Radio Adventures of Dr. Floyd back in the day. So huh. it was really cool to know that name and know her work and then have her doing Gideon the Ninth. So that, that was neat. Super cool. That was really cool. All right. So my pick of the week is a book. And this book is not new. It came out a couple of years ago. It's a work of nonfiction, kind of. It starts from a fantastical fictional premises. And then from there, it sort of delves into the world of uh, of nonfiction. So it's called How to Invent Everything by Ryan North. And if you know Ryan North's name, it might be from things that you wouldn't expect to yield a nonfiction book. He was a writer for The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl for a while. 
So Ryan North's book runs from the premise that you have rented a time machine from this handy dandy time machine construction and rental company, and you're going to use it to go back in the past and check things out. And it's like the owner's manual for it, at least for the first couple of pages. And as you're flipping through it, you get to the part of the repair manual and like, okay, if something goes wrong in your time adventures, flip to this section of the book and we'll tell you how to fix your time machine. And you flip it and they're like, oh. Sorry, there's actually no way to fix the time machine. So if you, you're now stranded in the past, so terribly sorry. The rest of this book will be how will you reinvent civilization depending on where you have landed in the timeline. That's and cool. so, yeah, it starts with everything from like, how do we, how did language come about? And like, how do we invent language all the way on up to like, how do I microwave food? You know, and so uh, it's it's got this sort of fun, it's, it's got a very... It is like the nonfiction book that has been informed by the vibe of like Portal. It has that kind of feel to it where it's sort of like, we're the friendly industrialist company. We swear everything's fine. Yeah. The cake is a lie. It's got that whole sort of feel to it, which is very fun, um, very readable and super informative. So check out How to Invent Everything by Ryan North. Very cool. My pick this week is I am I am enjoying The Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. I was at Worldcon when it dropped, like the first couple of episodes. I saw tons of people mm-hmm. taking huge heaping shits on it. Yeah. And that was disappointing. But then I started watching it and I was like, why are people hating on this? This is this is pretty fun. So I'm enjoying it. I think other sh- people should go check it out. The Rings of Power. It it's nice. It's fun. It's good. Mm-hmm. It looks beautiful. My God, it's gorgeous. Yeah. They they definitely spent some money on this. Uh just the when they get the Numenor, for example, it's like holy crap. It looks like looks like a, a feature film. Mm-hmm. So and uh I'm getting into the story and I'm I'm enjoying it. I I I, I think the stranger is uh Soramon. So that's okay. That's my my prediction. Your plot prediction. Yes. All right. So nice grab bag there. So folks, keep an eye out for Station Eternity from Mer Lafferty. And Mer, where else can folks find you in this wide, wide world in which you are so very busy? (laughs) Uh, The best place is my website, which is merverse.com. That's M-U-R as in murder. No extra R's. You don't have to speak it in a funny way or do anything fancy with the vowels. Just merverse, like universe, only mer. Only mer I should coin that phrase. Anyway, dot com. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us, Mer. Thank you, guys. This has been fun, as always. Holy crap. This year is just flying by, isn't it? Sheesh. As always, thank you for listening. Special shout out to our backers over on Patreon for putting up with all the shenanigans. Tracy, totally Tracy does over on our super secret private facebook group i mean (laughs) she is just constantly posting stuff over there like you know articles uh movie and tv show trailers even like daily music videos at this point i mean yeah that's that's totally all tracy so thanks for uh thanks for backing us if you want to know what the hell I'm talking about? Go check out patreon.com slash functional nerds and throw us a couple bucks. Then you 
will gain access to our super secret private Facebook group. Now, I will say, you and I have to be friends on Facebook in order for me to invite you. It's a Facebook thing. It's weird. So there is a process. But still, uh, it would be really cool if you backed us and then, you know, joined us over there. Anyway, Robert and Todd, they totally promised us they would do this spinning sign thing on their street corners to drum up some listeners. And to date, they haven't actually followed through. So if you could go give us some stars on your favorite podcast platform, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you're going to to find us and listen, that would be awesome. We'll we'll work on the spinning sign thing with Robert and Todd as maybe sort of a holiday push. I can see them now dressed as elves and not the cool ones from Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Canelli Joe said he might, might consider some sort of social media campaign around the poodles for, you know, the upcoming Hugo season. Cough. Before I forget, Beyond the Trope hit 400 episodes recently. That's pretty cool. Giles and Michelle were very, very properly excited about this. 400 is a huge milestone for a podcast. To celebrate, why not go check them out at beyondthetrope.com. They put out a new episode every Tuesday talking with writers, artists, and creatives from all over the place. And that 400th episode was pretty cool. So again, check them out over at beyondthetrope.com. Now, I'm sure that this is the point where I would normally have some more uh, stuff to kind of say, things to tease our backers with, but I totally forgot to write it, so... Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.